Hello and welcome to another episode of High Low with Amrata. This is a solo episode, Emrata Asks. So last week we did an episode on ethical non-monogamy and we are doing a part two of that episode, but I'm just organizing everyone's submissions around EM and um, polyamory. If you have some thoughts or experiences around EM and you haven't submitted, please go to hilo.fm to submit your thoughts. So today we're getting into some therapy talk. I feel like I should put like, not a trigger warning, but if you hate (laughs) all the kind of conversations that are happening around therapy and that kind of stuff, I'm going to say don't listen to this. Although this episode is actually a little bit about being skeptical of those things as well. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm just getting you the heads up. So this came up last week in the episode about E&M. Um, I talked about a book called Polysecure, which marries attachment theory to polyamory. Attachment theory is what we are talking about today. I used to be somebody who loved attachment theory. When people would ask me, what's your sign? I'd be like, I don't do that. What's your attachment style? And a lot of people don't know about attachment theory unless you have a therapist who uses that specific practice. But actually today we're going to talk about um, how popular attachment theory has become, why it's become so popular as a applied theory that a lot of therapists use in their practice, and why it's kind of popped off in the last four or five years actually has to do with COVID and um, the pandemic. So I'm going to first explain what attachment theory is, break down the history of it, what are the different attachment styles, and then I'm going to get into a little bit of my personal experience with it. And then we're going to go kind of out of nowhere and it's might be a little controversial to people and talk a little bit about confirmation bias and um, horoscopes and love languages. And while I know that attachment theory is different than those things because there is data and studies behind it, I, I do think that the way that we're using it in pop culture now or in culture in general in the world is kind of similar to those other things. So let's get into it. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. So attachment theory's origin started with a guy named John Bowlby. In the 50s, he was this British psychoanalyst, and he did this study with infants where they would be separated from their primary caregiver, and he noticed that the infants had very specific categories of reactions to being separated from their parent or their primary caregiver, how they visibly acted, how they expressed their emotion, but also um, their pulse, their heart rate, their breathing, everything like that. So he was sort of the father of this first study. Later, this woman, Mary Answorth, did a study. This was a technique called the strain situation, very similar, where infant and parent are separated. They're studying both. Um, and they were studying infant parent attachment, 12-month-olds, and their parents were brought into a lab, separated, and then reunited. And they also observed the same thing, that there were these very specific reactions that these children had, which they came up with the language of attachment around. So 
According to Mary Answorth's research, there are at least three types of children. There are securely attached children. Um, they have a secure relationship with their parents. Then there are those who are anxious, resistant, and there are those who are anxious, avoidant. I think about this stuff a lot with Sly because a lot of attachment theory basically comes back to your relationship to your parents and how you how you felt safe and how you interacted with them. So what's really interesting about securely attached individuals is that these infants who are securely attached, they do get upset when their parents leave. It's not that they don't have a reaction. They get upset, they're bummed, and then they feel safe enough and comfortable enough to be in their space and they're happy when they're reunited, whatever else. And they relax relatively quickly. They can explore and they can play in space, which I think is really beautiful. Then there's a category of infants who were so anxious, they, you know, couldn't relax, they couldn't play, they were very upset, and their heart rates are up. And then there's another kind that basically didn't act upset, um, even though their heart rates were up and there were physical signs of them being upset at leaving their caregiver. They basically, they're dismissive. They don't feel the anxiety. They don't they're mentally not processing the anxiety of being separated from the parent, and they're also not exhibiting any behaviors that demonstrate that. So in the 1980s, there was sort of a shift that happened with all this information where people said, okay, whatever attachment style you have as an infant, you're going to have your whole life with any intimate relationships. Um, and this is a, actually a quote which it's kind of dark to me because it just makes me feel like there's so much on the early stages of life and the pressure I feel as a parent to be perfect when it comes to sly and this stuff. This really nails it. They say that the attachment characterized human experience from the cradle to the grave, aka how you pre-verbal stuff, how you relate to your parents and how you feel safe and secure, that will be how you interact for the rest of your life until you die. So in 1987, there were these two researchers who started to think about this in the context of romantic relationships and partnerships. And then this is when things kind of really started to blow up and attachment theory got more heat because then you're able to categorize people and understand them as you're an anxious, preoccupied person or you're a dismissive avoidant and there's all these behaviors. I mean, I really recommend looking this stuff up online and taking a quiz for yourself, but it became this incredible way to understand deep relational connections. So side note, when I first discovered attachment theory, when my therapist brought it up to me, this was in 2018 or 19 when I first started therapy, um, my entire phone was just filled with screenshots about attachment styles. I made all of my friends take quizzes. It felt like how people describe when they first read their horoscope, you feel this kind of, you know, oh my God, like that's so me. This thing is so me. This thing about how I do one specific um, very specific things, you know, lined up with the type of attachment style that my therapist had basically told me I had, which was anxious preoccupied. So now there are basically four attachment styles. And I highly recommend looking this up. There's so much online about it. There's anxious, there's avoidant, there's disorganized, and there's secure. So secure is obviously what we were talking about with the infants, where they sort of 
relate to their caregivers and this like warm and, you know, they have this really great caring environment and um, parents or their caregivers are very attuned to their child's needs, even when those needs are not clearly expressed. And a whole big part of attachment style is misattunement and how parents when they're misattuned to their child's needs, they develop insecure attachment styles. So secure attachment, I'm going to start there because I, I think it's kind of good to know the ideal. Secure attachment style implies that a person is comfortable expressing emotions openly. They feel them, which is a huge part of, you know, it's not that they're just happy all the time. They feel negative emotions. They feel stress. They feel jealousy, whatever, but they can express them. Um, their relationships are based on honesty, tolerance, emotional closeness, and they thrive in their relationships, but they also don't fear being on their own. They they feel safe in the world. They feel like they can have these relationships and these connections to other people without being concerned about the other person leaving or their relationship to that person ending. Then let's go to my, well, okay, so spoiler alert, I've been in therapy for quite a long time and um, I took an attachment style quiz around this podcast and around this episode. And um, I'm I'm now more secure than I, I'm anxious, preoccupied, but whatever. When when I first found out about attachment styles, I was um, had an anxious attachment style, which you know is means that you're very you really don't want to be alone. It causes high levels of anxiety. The thought of being alone, um, you have typically have a negative self image um, while having a very high positive view of others. They often seek approval, support, responsiveness, responsiveness from their partner. I remember my therapist describing it as like the well always feels like it's about to run dry and you're always turning to your partner for more reassuring. And you're they're very worried and anxious that their loved one is not as invested in the relationship as they are. Strong fear of abandonment um, is present. Safety is a priority. The attention, care, responsiveness of their partner appears to be the remedy for anxiety. So their whole life, they they turn kind of everything to their partner. And, you know, again, this is a generalized thing. This isn't necessarily everyone. And there are, you can get more into the kind of minutia and the specifics of each attachment style, but this is just sort of giving you a macro view of the attachment styles. So what happens when your partner doesn't give the attention and care and love that the anxious person needs it makes it so much worse they become more clinging they become more demanding actually my friend who has also actually who was on the podcast last week when we were talking about policy care um she said you know she's been diagnosed or whatever as having a anxious preoccupied attachment style and that she read something that said actually anxious preoccupied people just need to have the right partner to help them kind of heal those wounds but I also think, you know, for me, it was really in therapy where I learned to be independent and get to the root of kind of my fear of abandonment. Um, the second type is a very specific avoid and dismissive. They would perceive themselves as lone wolves. They're strong. They see themselves as strong, independent, self-sufficient. Actually, intimacy makes them feel unsafe. Being close to people is really and not in a physical way, in an emotional way. Emotional intimacy makes them feel unsafe. Um, they generally have very high self-esteem and a positive view of themselves, at least externally. They don't necessarily want to be in a relationship. They really take pride in not depending on others or seeking support. So they generally avoid emotional closeness. They also tend to hide or suppress their feelings when faced with a potentially emotional, dense situation 
we're going to get into this a little bit more, but interestingly, there are studies about how more femme-presenting people are anxious, preoccupied, and how more mask-presenting or men are often dismissive avoidance. So then the there's the fourth and final one, which is disorganized, fearful, avoidant. They have unstable and ambiguous behaviors in their social bonds. This is actually kind of a rare one. For adults with this style of attachment, the partner and the relationships themselves are often the source of of both desire and fear. So they sort of feel the fear in the way that dismissive avoidance don't feel their emotions. Um, and they're, they're not necessarily aware of how afraid they are of expressing themselves. Fearful avoidance are aware of it. They want intimacy and closeness, but at the same time experience trouble. Uh, they have a hard time trusting and depending on others. They don't regulate their emotions well and avoid strong emotional attachment due to their fear of getting hurt. So, these are the kind of four attachment styles. There are different things you can, you can, there's quizzes that let you to kind of see like your breakdown of which percentage you are. Um, and I'm not going to get super deep into how it relates to how you were treated as a child and the attunement of your parents, but these are essentially the four attachment styles. So I obviously have been thinking about attachment theory in a new way in the last couple years, two years um, since I was born and thinking about, you know, how to develop someone who has secure attachment and feels safe expressing their emotions. And, you know, there is stuff that happens, I think, as kids get older or just how we treat our children, even subconsciously based on their gender, you know, where we're kind of like, you're a boy, you don't need, you don't, don't cry, whatever. Whereas a little girl, you, you know, give them love and attention when they're needy and there are so many ways that we impact our children and treat them based on their gender um, that we don't even realize that I, I try to consider when I'm thinking about Sly and how I react to his emotions. I'm going to get into my personal part of this next up. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Okay, welcome back. So personal experience with attachment theory. Um, like I said, completely obsessed when I first got it. it. It really was the way that people feel when they read their horoscopes or get their chart done and they're like, oh my God, the secrets to the universe have been unlocked. I was I was basically, instead of like, you know, looking up people's birth date and time and their rising and whatever, I was, you know, saying to my friends, like, would you say you're this? Like asking them questions from the quiz to figure it out. And it felt like, oh my God, I'd cracked open this new understanding of the world um, that, that made so much sense to me. And, you know, I started doing therapy in 2018. And I will say, you know, now being single and kind of like, you know, navigating the new relationships and like having boundaries and stuff and trying to break those patterns of behavior that I I did have around being anxious preoccupied I I actually think it worked 
my therapist essentially described it as rewiring my brain and, you know, regulating my body and my breathing and like, you know, inner child shit where not shit, I have respect for it, but inner child shit where you talk to, you know, your younger version of yourself and you tell them that they're safe and it's going to be okay. And, you know, really kind of zenning out and remembering that just if this person leaves or whatever else, like you're, you're going to be okay. You're still going to be safe. And it's worked. I think that I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't gotten, I haven't been in a, as a therapized person, I haven't walked into a new relationship. So stay tuned for that. But I think just in interactions now with people I'm really close to, my parents and with my very, very close friends and with guys that I get involved with and stuff, like I do feel more um, securely attached. So I, I do think that attachment theory is a is a really interesting way to treat people. And I think therapy in that way can be really great. It's really interesting that this has become such a hot applied theory because, you know, there's you can kind of look at the history of psychotherapy and you can see like in the 70s there's all this craze around repressed memory and blah blah blah. Like there's fads in psychology. And I'm not saying that this is a fad, but it's certainly you know, one of the the kind of hot things that people are talking about. I think body keeps the score, obviously learning about how trauma lives in the body. Essentially that book just is, the point is in the title, which is the body keeps the motherfucking score. Any trauma that's happened to you, if you haven't emotionally been able to, even if you have, you know, emotionally kind of faced it, your body is aware of it and it's in your digestive health. It's in the memory, like your nerves know and they respond. And that book has been on the bestsellers list for some insane amount of weeks. I read it, by the way, and I I couldn't, I actually couldn't finish it because I was so stressed out. I felt it in my body. I felt exhausted. They talk about war vets and the trauma they experience, you know, victims of sexual abuse. And it just really triggered me. Um, and I felt it in my body, which was interesting. So that's one. And then the other one I think is attachment theory. So when I was getting ready for this episode, I asked my producers, I was like, how, like, why has this happened? So this book was published in 2010, interestingly, but got very popular in 2018. Um, it's called Attach, the New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and keep love. It was a huge, huge hit. But also, I don't know what's on your TikTok, but like a lot of my TikTok is attachment theory. It's just something that's become like a part of the zeitgeist. And you can take quizzes if you Google this. There's like 25 different quizzes and diagrams and there's so much on it. And like magazines write about it and newspapers. And I think it's just become this real huge part of our culture. We have to remember what's happened in the last, whatever, four or five years with COVID and everything. I think people like were looking for ways to organize and understand and, and you know, felt like the world was ending. And it's like, how am I going to have good relationships with the people that I'm close to? You're like locked in a house with them. And this is all to say that attachment theory has been slowly building in popular um, culture and in the zeitgeist as kind of a key way of understanding relationships and ourselves. Okay. I think that 
the joke around comparing attachment styles to horoscopes, it, it it is a joke. But I'm telling you, that feeling I got when I was looking all the shit up was very real. And it felt like unlocking the the universe. And there's a lot of things like this, you know. I think it was a, a way to categorize and understand people better. Another one is love languages. The love language thing is words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch acts of service, then there's like gift giving. People are really into that. I feel like that comes up a lot. I was on a date and this person was not the kind of person I expected to ask me what my love language was. And I was like, I don't, I mean like all of them, I guess. (laughs) A lot of men um, say that their love language is acts of service. Like they take out the garbage. That's a way of showing I love you. And women are like, how about you actually give me emotional support? Another, another thing I could go off on. Um, Anyway, people really love this, and there's a whole facet of people who are very interested in, like, understanding their love language and understanding other people's, and they feel like it also, you know, helps make make relationships better, which I get. Like, we all – this is why I love attachment theory. It's the same thing. Um, But I think that, honestly, if there are therapists who are listening right now, they're going to kind of grimace at this next part because – I guess that's why I don't like attachment theory in some ways, even though I feel like I've benefited from treatment around um, attachment theory and based off of attachment theory. I don't know if you've heard of confirmation bias. Confirmation bias um, is defined as the tendency to look for information that supports rather than rejects one's preconceptions, typically by interpreting evidence to confirm existing beliefs while rejecting or ignoring any conflicting data. So you could read anything, you could hear anything and you're like, ah, yes, this part of it lines up with this thing that I want to believe about myself. And I think that it's really natural for us to do that. But what I don't love about astrology and attachment styles and love language and anything that breaks people down into categories and says there are three types of people or there are 12 types of people or whatever, yada, yada, is it's over sim- it's oversimplifying things. And I have found with my personal journey with attachment theory that a lot of things that are unique to individuals fall through the cracks because their therapists immediately put behaviors under these four categories. They're like, that's dismissive avoidant behavior. That's why they're doing this. Or it's all because you didn't feel you know, safe with your caregiver. And I'm, listen, I'm not saying that I don't believe that. I do think that that's definitely true. And as a parent, like I'm thinking about this shit a lot, but I don't love that we, that we do that. And, and I guess my question for today is, can we trust things that categorize and oversimplify human beings so much? I, I, I think we need to be a little bit more skeptical about that. And, you know, again, I'm sort of posing this question because I'm curious how you all feel about it. And I personally can say that I don't know if I'm securely attached, but I definitely feel very different than I did before I was treated with under under this behavioral theory and, and really faced kind of what it meant to be anxious, preoccupied and whatever else. But I just, I do also feel like there are, there are so many things about human beings that are more complicated. And I even think the fact that, you know, these are gendered, like that there's so many men who are dismissive avoidant and that there are so many women who are anxious, preoccupied, like there's a, that's a, there's a whole lot more to that. 
um, that we haven't even tapped into. Like, why does that happen? I want to hear your thoughts on attachment style. Take a quiz online if you don't know your attachment style. Read up on it. Go to hilo.fm to send in your audio notes or DM me at emrata. Tell me your thoughts on attachment style and confirmation bias and and even honestly astrology and love languages and like all the kind of things that we right now as a culture seem to be relatively obsessed with when it comes to understanding other humans better. All right. Looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks so much for listening. High Low with Emrata is a Sony Music Entertainment, Bitch Era Media, and Something Else production produced by Chelsea Jacobson. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, and Sarita Wesley. Our senior producer is Medina Parwana, and our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh. Thanks for listening.